everybody aloha and welcome back to the brick house for another edition of bo's football final here at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts i'm your host rob demello joining me former university of hawaii offensive lineman rj hollis our guy rich miano has the week off because he is enjoying some much deserved family time here this week following the university of hawaii's victory over wyoming claiming reclaiming i should say the paniolo trophy and beating the Cowboys in Laramie for the first time since 1991. A lot to talk about in regards to how the University of Hawaii football team wrapped up their regular season at 6-7 and seven on the season, 3-5 and five in the Mountain West Conference. And then what happens from here? Uh, the very first thing to mention is that as it stands, the University of Hawaii football team season likely is over. There was a lot of hope and there was a lot of anticipation that if Hawaii could get the victory over Wyoming to get that sixth victory, finishing six and seven on the year. And if there was a shortage of six and six teams to go into bowl games here at the end of the season, that the University of Hawaii would be first in line and could get into a bowl game that way, like they did in 2016 uh, beating Middle Tennessee in the Hawaii Bowl in that year, R.J. Hollis's senior year. But because of some upsets on Saturday, it looks like that all the bowl games slots are filled and the University of Hawaii would be on the outside looking in. We'll see if a couple of teams decide that they will not participate in bowl games this year. Then obviously that opens the door again, but it is out of the control of anyone and everyone in the state of Hawaii. So at this point, I think it's if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then you just move on with the offseason. Um, and so, again, we have a lot to talk about. But first things first, RJ, I wanted to give you an opportunity to give us your thoughts, your biggest takeaway from that regular season ending victory over Wyoming. 38-14, a game that Hawaii controlled from the opening kickoff until the clock struck zero. Beautiful. It was beautiful, Rob. And like you said, controlled from the opening kickoff till the clock struck zero at the very end on both sides of the ball. Something that, you know, all season has been the question mark of if the offense and the defense can click together at the right times. And I mean, even if you talk about looking at what the defense did, no turnovers from a team that's top five in the country in causing turnovers. But at the end of the day, if you watch the game, you know they dominated. They absolutely gave Wyoming nowhere to move the ball, and the offense clicked. It wasn't always clicky as they didn't score any points in the third quarter, only scored seven points in the fourth quarter after putting up 31 in the first half. So it wasn't uh, necessarily a perfect game, but as far as complete, it was definitely start to finish. Offense, defense, special teams, front to back, the best game that they've had all year and if that is how you have to end the season 
up in Laramie, which is a hard enough place to play. They always put the 7,220 feet to make sure you know you're in hostile territory. You know you're in a different environment. But you know what? The Bulls put all of that aside. They put the bad games aside, and they went up to Laramie and absolutely dominated. There is no other way to describe that game other than a dominant performance. So if that is the way that they bow out of this season, that was an amazing performance from the University of Hawaii. Yeah, and let's start by talking about what the offense did in that game. And obviously, the offensive side of the ball, the polarizing side of the ball for this University of Hawaii football team uh, all season long, that's been the lightning rod of conversations. And whether it's disagreeing or have criticism for offensive coordinator Bo Graham, or it's the breaking down of the play of quarterback Chevin Cordero, it's the the penalties, the drop passes, the play calling, whatever it is that you want to talk about over the last two weeks, the university of Hawaii football team has enjoyed its most productive output offensively all season long. And when you look at the last eight quarters played by this UH football team, there's 50 points scored and 30, what did they score? 38 points, 88, 88 points scored in the final eight quarters of the season. If this is the way it ends, Chevin Cordero goes 19 to 31 for 323 yards passing three touchdowns. He had one interception in the red zone, a, a ball that he was hit as throwing it and went straight up in the air and was picked off. He was sacked only one time running the football, 14 carries. He gained 102 yards. He had 16 yards of losses and that takes him to, uh, to a net of 86 yards. He also had a touchdown Diedrich Parsons, 10 carries for 46 yards. And then you look at what he was able to do, throwing the football, throwing to uh, nine different receivers in this game against Wyoming, uh, leading the way Calvin Turner jr. Five catches for 90 yards, Jared smart, two catches, 58 yards. And of course the 50 yard hail Mary at the end of the first half, a play that we'll be talking about for many, many years to come. And we got to mention two guys that uh, were given their, their biggest opportunities of the season, and they took full advantage of it. Steven Fiso, two catches, 51 yards, two touchdowns. So two catches, two touchdowns for Fiso. We saw him uh, over the course of the season get opportunities. Uh, in his previous targets, he dropped the ball every single time. And for him to be able to stay with it at this point and, and to be able to, to finish this season like that, two catches, two touchdowns, unbelievable. And Jonah Pinoke, four catches, 46 yards, and none of those catches were easy. Um, RJ, offensively, what did this performance, and really when you look back to the Colorado State game as well, um, what did this tell you about this offense? And it can be about the possibilities of this offense. It could tell you what frustrates you most about this offense because you finally see it clicking or, you know, or is it one of those situations where have you seen this offense evolve here over the last couple of weeks? And one thing to keep in mind, a big headline, Bo Graham moved from the sideline to the coach's box over the last two weeks. And that's what we talk about in those eight quarters, 86 points since coach Graham, coach Bo Graham made that move. Uh, I think it's got to be a smidge of everything that you just talked about. I mean, if we go back to the very first football or Bo's football final, and if you listen to this on uh, Spotify, you can easily do that with a little scroll. Preseason, we were talking about 
I was talking about how this offense is loaded like a baked potato, something that Rich Miano actually alluded to on the Spectrum broadcast on Saturday. It was already brought up that you have more weapons than you were going to know what to do with. You had a quarterback that performed on Saturday like we expected him to perform all season. But ultimately, I do think Bo Graham mixed with the better execution, moving up to the box where he can get all 22 in his view and doesn't have to ask questions anymore because he knows what he's seeing. He has to look at it. I think that all entails just what we kind of knew this whole season. Something had to be done for this offense to perform this way, but we knew the performances could be had. And there's one thing to add to this 88 points in eight quarters. It's actually only seven quarters because the third quarter of Saturday, you did not score. So you put up 88 points and actually seven quarters because one quarter you're scoreless in the past two games, then in the past three games you don't even score 88 points. You take away, you know, the New Mexico State and the Portland State, you hardly see this team go even close to 30 points, except the one time they played Utah State, and then when they played Fresno but caused six turnovers. Two of those touchdowns were from the defense. So there was a lot to be needed of this offense to step up and show that they could score points. And in these last two games, these last eight quarters, everything that was predicted, projected, everything that was thought to be the talent and the absolute explosiveness of this offense through a multitude of players, because it wasn't just Calvin Turner. Shevin Cordero is at the helm of this, but it wasn't just him making plays. It was multiple players over multiple games, and there was the performance against two mountain opponents that Hawaii typically has a hard time playing against. Against the West opponents, you kind of figure out, now I'm talking about the divisions in the Mountain West, Usually Hawaii does a lot better against West opponents. Let's not forget these 88 points scored were against mountain opponents, a win that you didn't get since 91 previous or before that was a win you didn't get since 92. So historically Hawaii has not figured out a way to be able to play these teams and do good. It was projected at the beginning of the season. They could do things that maybe we've never seen before. And these past two games just proved all that prediction that was everything that we thought it was. All of that, Shevin should be the MVP. You're loaded like a baked potato. You got nine different guys that can make things happen. All of that was proven in these last two games. Going forward, it should definitely give a, a, a spike of energy to anybody on the offense that was worried about if it could work. But as far as what people predicted for this season, people getting upset because they weren't meeting their potential, I think these last two games, you showed, you were just as great as everybody thought it could be. It just needed to be the right pieces put in the right place to make it happen. And I think against Colorado State and against Wyoming, all the right pieces were put in the right places. Now, what have you seen out of Shevin Cordero over these last two weeks? Because from my observation, and I asked him about this heading in to the Wyoming game, and I said, Shevin, what, what happened in regards to your personality, in regards to your demeanor, because, you know, he's always been a quiet guy. He's always been, you know, kind of, he lets his actions speak for itself. And, um, and, and so that goes for the games, which everyone sees, but I'm talking about even in practice, I'm talking about walking out of practice. We've seen him smile, laugh, joke more than I've seen, maybe in his entire time at the University of Hawaii and, and, and going back to his freshman year. And so I asked him what's going on. And he said, well, he's feeling healthy. You know, uh, 
you know, he had brought up about, you know, if you remember uh, even in that sophomore year uh, where he teamed up with Cole McDonald, he was battling, uh, you know, ankle injury through all that. And so there's a lot of anxiety and stress that comes with injuries. Right. And then you look at uh, last season, um, you know, I, I never got to see him on the practice field and right because of COVID and all that. So I don't know what his demeanor was like then. Um, and, and, but then you look at this season where there's been a lot of injury, there's been a lot of frustration, you know, in regards to the productivity of the offense and coming out of that UNLV game, it almost appeared like the pressure was off, right? He, he was very emotional after that loss, wanting to get that win for the seniors. It was their worst performance of the season. I, I think is easy to say. And, but then it, it just, from there, everything kind of changed and, and you saw the, the entirety of the Colorado state game, Chevin Cordero look like the Chevin Cordero that we imagined he would evolve into based on knowing what he's accomplished in the past, based on knowing his skill set and, and everything that he brings to the table. And then he carried it over against Wyoming decisions were lightning quick. Um, it, it, his mobility what have you seen out of Chevin Cordero here over the last couple of weeks that, that tells you that, you know, some, something has happened here. I mean, more than just the statistics, like you said, it's the demeanor. And um, as far as knowing him personally, I, I don't know Chevin to an extreme personal level, but I know him more than enough to talk to. And I remember, you know, before his first uh, performance, we actually had a spectrum game, his first start rather. And, and I don't know if it was 2018 or 2019, but we knew, that Cole McDonald was out. We knew that Shevin was going to start. And when I talked to Shevin, I remembered as I'm talking to him, he didn't blink the whole time. He never blinked. Just he was still real skinny. He wasn't really, you know, as big as he is now. He really didn't have, you know, the, the, the size, all of the experience that he has now. But he went out and he won that game. And I'm saying all that to say this. Shevin is a quarterback. He can ball. He's done it at every single level. But at the end of the day, that is a position where if you're mentally not there, you might as well scratch it for the rest of the offense. If the quarterback is not 100%, because let's not forget when him and Cole McDonald were vying at first for a starting position and not, Cole McDonald was hiding injuries that he was going through, but not going out publicly about it, and it started to affect his performance. Shevin did the same thing where there was an injury earlier in the season than we were even, you know, alluded to, especially with COVID keeping everything under wraps. We really didn't know what he was playing through. I think after that first touchdown in UNLV, when he had that 79-yard bomb to Nick Martiner, it was all released. I think everything that he was worried about in himself, everything that he was questioning about his performance, about his ability to be that great quarterback that we've seen at St. Louis, we've seen as a true freshman, we've seen as a backup, we've seen more than enough evidence from Shevin to know that he could be great. But if Shevin doesn't believe that in himself, then all of that is for naught. I think after that first touchdown, Shevin knew there should have been something else to follow that up in that UNLV game. I think he also goes to think if we do follow it up in that UNLV game, well, now we're not from the outside looking in. We have another bowl game to put on for these seniors. So when we were talking about the Bulls football final after his interview and he was crying, you remember what I said? If those emotions are real, if those tears are real, then these next two games will show us that those tears is real. 88 points in seven quarters. 
He meant every tear that rolled down his cheek after that UNLV game. And at the end of the day, that's a mental aspect. That's something that's just between the ears. Not a playbook is going to help that. Not a scheme is going to help that. None of the wide receivers are going to help that. Shevin, before Colorado State, looked in the mirror. He put on his helmet, and he knew who he was. And these last two games, he has taken the field, knowing who he is and knowing how he can perform. And when he has that mentality, we see. How many times has Rich Miano said he should be the MVP, offensive MVP of the Mountain West? Up until Colorado State, you would think that Rich is starting to lose a little bit of, you know, lose a little bit of his talent scouting. Maybe he just ain't got it no more. But now we got Colorado State and Wyoming to show us. With number 12, get it in his mind. Don't forget the one glove now, because we're going to talk about that later. But once 12 get it in his mind, I'm one of the best quarterbacks in this conference, if not in the country. There is very little you could do to stop him. If you stop the pass, he's going to run. You try to stop the run, he's going to pass. Wyoming figured that out the hard way. Yeah, and I think that Shevin Cordero earned the respect. And if he hasn't, he should have earned the respect of any University of Hawaii fan. And it really goes beyond Rainbow Warrior football. Anyone in the state of Hawaii that appreciates their state being represented Yes. You, Shevin Cordero earned your, your respect uh, of what he's been able to do over the last couple of weeks and battling through everything that he's gone through, the adversities, and whether it's injury, whether it's learning the new system, whether it's the culture change of everything. I mean, just going through all of that uh, and being able to perform the way that he has uh, is quite remarkable. And, and, and it's a reason why he is as beloved as he is by, by anyone that comes in contact with him, by his teammates, and, and, uh, and that goes back to high school. All right, let's talk a little bit about the defense because um, I think there is one thing that everyone can agree on through the frustrations of a University of Hawaii football season that the regular season ends at six and seven. And I think anyone who has watched this team now retrospectively looks back and says, man, this team could have won nine games because they should have won that San Jose State game. That's a game that they shot themselves in the foot. They should have won the San Diego State game. And albeit against a a top 25 team that has 11 victories that more than likely will win the Mountain West title, um, still the University of Hawaii was in control of that football game and should have been in control of that football game and and let that slip away. And, and, um, and so when you look at that, and then of course, UNLV is a game that uh, was the university of Hawaii. I think Rich Miano put it best uh, a death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, it was just little mistake after little mistake after little mistake. And before you knew it, UNLV was in control of that football game. And and so those are three extremely winnable games for this football team, which I think adds to the frustration. But with all that being said, defensively, um, there's there's something I want to bring up to you, RJ, right? Because if you remember back in the run run and shoot days, uh, you know, whether it be June Jones or even Nick Rolovich, right? And it, it, it's uh, the offense was appreciated. Everyone enjoyed the offense. It was a lot of fun. Um, But there was always this sentiment that, you know, but Hawaii is really a defensive state, right? And and then so during that time, the people would talk about the Bob Wagner defenses and the Dick Tomey defenses. And they say, you know, but really, that's what Hawaii people want. Hawaii people want big hits. They want turnovers. They want chaos. That's Mm -hmm. what Hawaii people want. That's what they got this year, right? I mean, when you really think about it, um, 
turning the ball over as many, uh, forcing as many tor- turnovers as they have. You got the brothers of destruction, Darius Musau and Corey Bethley, just week in, week out, just making your jaws drop. Um, if, if there's anything that you can walk away from this University of Hawaii football season saying um, that they are pleased with, I have to imagine that all the points were given up, and but we've talked about it many times on BFF that like, hey, sometimes you got to spend money to make money. Uh, right. you, you can't have those aggressive calls on defense without some um, some errors uh, taking place. But uh, defensively, do you feel like that if there's a, um, you know, I think the image of the season will be frustration and will be the things that let it slip away. But do you think the positive image of this 2021 football season is the chaos created by the defense? I a hundred percent. I think if this season is dwindled down to a picture, to like a snapshot, uh-huh. it would be when Corey Bethley lost his helmet and has his do rag on with his mouthpiece hanging against Fresno State before they beat them and were ranked and caused six turnovers, including a forced fumble. I believe it was the very first play. I know it was the first drive, but if I'm not mistaken, was the very first play. You talk about this defense, and I mean, you know, Hawaii for the past decade, easily, all offensive coaches, all offensive minds. So, therefore, the offense was always what was going to show up and show out. You get to Todd Graham, who's a defensive mind, and honestly, unless you really know football, it's harder to see how good the defense is. I think this defense made it easy to see how good they were. Top three in the nation in turnovers you got Cortez Davis who we hardly ever mention he's like number two or three in the country in pass breakups we hardly ever talk about it Cam Lockridge went down the week after he gets a Mount West defensive player of the week and they still make stuff happen without him you lose Jeremiah Pritchard before the season even starts a more than capable veteran Isaiah Tufunga has to step up in that linebacker rotation and basically it's Darius Mulsau uh, Pane Pavihi and Isaiah Tufunga for your entire linebacker court. You got Jonah Laulu making noise. You got Blessman Ta'ala, Peter Tonga, Dwan Matt. Like you have so many different guys on this defense that have made certain plays, certain strides that you would be almost just completely ignoring what you've seen if you wouldn't say that this defense has been the absolute backbone for this team this entire year and make no mistake about it if enough teams do turn down bowl games and Hawaii does get into a bowl game just as much as you would want to accredit the offense for these past two games you would have to accredit the defense for the entire 13 because they have been playing great crazy football this entire season you're talking about national recognition amongst players you're talking about Darius Mulesau back-to-back hundred tackle seasons I mean you could just go on and on and on and on about what this defense does and like I said if you're listening to this Bose football final on Spotify go pick any episode you want Darius Moosau will be in there Corey Bethley will be in there how great this defense played even if it was only a small bit of time that will be in there so if you've watched this season if you've been frustrated with the offense if you've been frustrated with the team in general one thing you honestly cannot say is that this defense has not just caused absolute ruckus everything you would want a defense to do everything you want it to be as far as causing turnovers as far as keeping you in games like san diego state which like you mentioned rob we were in that game the whole time but it was not because of the offense when you talk about the unlv game there was 
three turnovers in the first half, but the offense only turned that into three points. So the defense has showed itself time and time and time again. And if you watch this season, you know that that is the absolute strength of this team, that Todd Graham has turned this defense into what the Hawaii people would want in a defense. Destructive, dangerous, and we taking the ball any and every chance we get. And even if you look at a game like Wyoming, you force no turnovers, but that was still probably top three most dominant performances they've had all year. It looked like Wyoming was scared to run a play after the first quarter. All right. Let's talk about, you know, we've, we, we've, we've already talked about the victory. We know that the university of Hawaii ends at six and seven there's uh, you couldn't ask for a more positive finish in regards to production of the offense, defense, special teams, uh, even coaching. Um, you know, this was the University of Hawaii showing its best, its best version of itself. Right. And so now let's talk about what happens from here. So let's say that, uh, you know, there is no bowl game for the University of Hawaii to play in. This was the end of the road for the rainbow warriors it's six and seven on the season and um you now look ahead 16 uh you know member senior class leaves the program um we've talked about it for months here on Bo's football final of what happens when when you have a losing football team and the last time that the university of hawaii had a losing football team was in 2017, the year after you had left the program uh, when your eligibility ran out after the 2016 Hawaii Bowl, and you had 17 players transfer out of the program. And whether it's transfer or quit or leave the program, it's just voluntarily leave the program. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that you put a number of eight starters, um, you know, were among the, the, the players that left and, and, you know, headlined by quarterback Drew Brown and receiver Dylan Colley and defensive back Kiala Santiago and, and, and the list goes on, um, you know, Vianney Moala on the defensive Daniel line. Lewis. Yeah. Daniel Lewis. Yeah. Daniel Lewis jr. Uh, absolutely. And so there has been uh talk about, you know, so what's going to happen with this UH football team. And, and obviously at, at the time, with two games remaining, uh, they, they had only had four wins and uh, six wins looked a lot better than four wins and finishing the year that they did. How much do you think that could play a part in who decides to stay, who decides to go? And, you know, and keep in mind, I am realistic to everything that I talk about here on Bo's football final. Right. And almost to a fault. Right. And that's what that that's what, uh, you know, every, people come at me for is like you know why are you defending this guy why are you defending this guy why aren't you i just look at it from a realistic standpoint players are going to leave the program there's just no way avoiding it and especially when you have a new coach come in i mean you can go back to uh you know uh from june jones being hired from fred von oppen you know some players left the program when june came in all right uh, when you look at Greg McMackin getting the job after June left, some players left the program then. When Norm got the job, some players left the program. I mean, it's going to happen because you have culture changes. And the, and the culture change from Nick Rolovich to Todd Graham, very significant, very mm-hmm. significant. It's night and day as far as how they run their programs, good or bad. And you can make right. an argument to why Todd Graham could be running his program better than Nick Rolovich did from a structural standpoint and from a, an accountability standpoint, or you could talk about Nick Rolovich 
conducted things better because he was more of a player's coach and, you know, players were happier because of it and, and all that. But no matter what it is, players are going to leave the program. Now, RJ Hollis, these two victories at the end of the year, how much do you think that could benefit the University of Hawaii in trying to keep its core together? Uh, a huge, absolutely huge. I mean, when you look at, like you said, four wins is a lot worse than six wins. You know, we could have went to a bowl game is something that you could ride an offseason with in versus we only won two games last year. Like, why am I going to stay here? Or if you have these last two games where you only put up maybe 15 points a game, maybe 18, 20 points a game. OK, maybe you got some guys on the offense saying no matter what happens, this will never work. It hasn't worked all season. It'll never work. No matter what happens, we're done. The fact that you got 88 points in the last two games, the, the fact that you won six games and still were considerable for bowl eligibility, I think that affects a lot of people. I mean, even when you talk about guys like Steven Fiso, he dropped a lot of passes before he had his two catches for two touchdowns. You talk about guys like Zion Bowens, you know, he's the type of guy where maybe if I don't get that 150-plus yard performance at Colorado State, I'd be gone because I know what I could do. But now that they're targeting him more, who knows? Okay, we got a guy like Shevin Cordero, which a lot of people would be worrying about. If I'm Shevin, you honestly would think, okay, is this offense ever going to work? If there's no way that this offense can work, maybe, just maybe, I need to look elsewhere for success. Granted, it's a small sample size because it's only two games. But I would be almost willing to guarantee that 75% of the people that were on the line about coming or going were on offense. Of those 75%, at least 80% or more are going to stay now. Because at the end of the day, the defense, you're, you're not going to go anywhere where you're going to be trained better or make better numbers or be a part of a better defense. Like, how do you leave top three turnovers forced in the country and think you're going to go somewhere else where it's going to be better? I think for the defense, a lot of those players were already bought in, were already kind of stuck in. Culture change or not, I think they seen the success of the defense was what's going to make them stay. The offense, if we're just being honest, that's good. that was the worry. That was truly the worry. Everybody's concerned. You got all these all this talent. You got Calvin Turner, Day-Day Hunter, Nick Martiner. You went and got tight ends. You got Dedrick Parson. You got a, you got a return in offensive line with multiple starts, a 6'6 six, six center. You had all of this stuff in your offense that – prior to the last two games you were wondering is it ever going to work I think these last two games showed that and that is something that during the offseason a lot more players will be able to live with I think when you only win four games when you're so far away from that 500 yard mark especially following a bowl game I think a lot of players kind of freaked out you know thinking well hey let's not forget in 2016 we got in there because of a technicality you follow that up with a losing season. You can't really predict success coming out of that. Todd Graham's first year, you won a mainland bowl game. And then at the end of this year, was it as great as you wanted it to be? No. But at the end of the day, you know, it was good enough where a few tweaks, you might be in the Mount West championship game. I think that thought process will be a lot easier for players to deal with. Yes, players are going to transfer. Players are going to leave. That's going to happen. But I think these last two offensive performances saved a lot of important players from leaving. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but let's not forget who wasn't mentored at senior night, starting with Chevin Cordero, who's not a senior, 
Nick Mardner, who's not a senior, Dede Hunter, Il Manning, Dedrick Parson, Kwali Nishigaya, all of the Corey Bethley, Darius Mouasau. There is a lot of good talent on this team that isn't seniors. If they could create a nucleus to stick together and buy in to whatever it is Ty Graham and Bo Graham are selling, I think they might believe that come next year, they could have a great turnaround and they could fulfill that potential. And I think a lot of that stemmed from the offensive performance these past two games. The defense has been there, but now that the offense shows up, I think there's a lot more people thinking in that locker room like, hey, if we start from game one with this offense, we might be talking double-digit wins come next year. Now, you know, through Bo's football final all season long, you know, especially when talking about the offense, I've been pretty adamant in, in, in saying that I thought that this University of Hawaii football team could win football games with the offense that they had, with the play calls that they had, but they were not executing. And, and, and really, even from a standpoint, as, this, as the game went on and situations came on, um, then you could see that, okay, um, you know, Bo Graham could do better, right? He, he could improve on things. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the most difficult part is that, you know, you want things to be black and white because they're easy, right? It's easy mm-hmm. to identify like, oh, this is the problem. Boom, get rid of this. And then everything will be fixed, right? There's a lot more gray in this world, right? And especially with this, where even in a situation like play calling, where it's, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, in some instances of where was this play calling earlier in the year? And the thing that I just got to remind everyone to, to, to kind of backtrack a little and try to remember is that you can't open up if you're not sustaining drives, right? And if there is a first down play, and a receiver streaking across the middle and it gets dropped, right? And then it's second and 10, all right? You're not going to have the same play call that you would have made if he made that catch and it was second and one, right? And so, there, I mean, it's all a butterfly effect. And then if you get a, a, a false start penalty on the first play of a, of a drive after a first down and you're first and 20 as opposed to first and 10, it's going to change things. And, and so it's just so difficult to to pinpoint, you know, without looking at the big picture. And, and it's so easy to, to, to go retrospectively and say they should have done this, this, and that, and the other thing, but forget some of the other things that happened within that game that forced some of the decisions that were being made. With that being said, I've also been very adamant of reminding people that, hey, when you're the leader of something, then it falls back on you. Because then if these guys are making these mistakes, then that means that you're not correcting these mistakes from being made right and so we've we've talked about that you know heading into this offseason adding experience to the offensive side of the ball from a teaching standpoint is a must and um with all that being said i still believe that that is something that needs to go uh into the offseason and that needs to be handled that there needs to be more experience you look at the defensive side of the ball the, the coaching staff is extremely experienced and you look at the success of the defense and you look at the, the, the structuring of the defense and you look at how productive the defense is and, you know, it, it lines up. It makes sense to, to where, like, okay, I mean, these guys are learning. You look at the offensive side of the ball, not saying that these guys can't grow to be good coaches mm-hmm. because every coach starts somewhere 
And yeah. so whether you're, uh, you know, a, a first year assistant coach on the offense side of the ball, one day you're going to be a fourth year assistant coach. Right. right and right. so that's the thing is I'm not saying that you can't have young offensive coaches, but you definitely need new, more experience. And I think that is still something that needs to be taken care of here heading into the 2022 season. But with that being said, have you seen enough in these last two weeks, RJ, to like to see more of a Bo Graham offense? Where, because I know at some point of the season, and really, I mean, going back like four weeks ago or something like that, where, where even you were saying like, you know, it's just not working. Something mm-hmm. needs to change because mm-hmm. whether it's drops or whether it's penalties or whether it's execution or whether it's play calling, whatever it is, it's just not working. And he's the leader of this offense. Right. Have you seen enough over these last two weeks to make you say like, you know what, I'd like to see more evolution of this? A hundred uh, thousand percent. Uh, and, I, and the thing is, I wouldn't be uh, the analyst I am if I had to just, you know, say what people want to hear or, you know, be on the side of favoritism or whatever. You can't watch 88 points in seven quarters and go, yeah, that's never going to work. That's that's no, no way. No way it's going to work. OK, if it's against New Mexico State and, and Portland, which you did put up a lot of points against them. And those are the final two games. Maybe, maybe. But you put up 50 against Colorado State. Then you put up 38 against Wyoming in Wyoming. Right after you decide you're going to leave the sideline and go up to the skybox. I think you would almost be missing the point if you didn't see there's an obvious correlation that something this simple changed that much of the offense. Something as simple as the offensive coordinator leaving the sideline and going up to the skybox. That almost double, tripled the potential. You add to that the fact that maybe you can get a veteran coach. Maybe you can get, you know, a couple of these old local guys who maybe got some money, maybe, you know, a Chad Owens, maybe a Rich Miano, maybe an offensive mind that doesn't need as much money. You put those guys on the sideline. With Bo Graham seeing the structure, you get somebody down there who can chalk talk with these guys, who can help develop them in their position. I'd find it very hard to believe that this offense couldn't evolve even more than it has. Like you just said, all of the, almost all of the experience is on the defensive side of the ball. The running backs coach is Abe Elamimian, who's a very well-tenured DB coach prior to this season. So there isn't too many offensive guys that have just been around it so long that they can go ahead and develop every piece of the player. They could teach them the intricacies, the ins and outs. I'll say that to say this, the offense, when Nick Rolovich got there, all of the, I remember the first time I seen Nick Rolovich throw the ball, he was the coach and he was literally one of the best passers on our field. He was getting mad at the quarterbacks because they weren't putting enough air under the ball on their seven on seven. He throws six straight dimes and I watch it with my own eyes. I'm like, how is he throwing the ball like that? I've seen coach Chris punch somebody in their chest and pop their little buckles that go in between their pads right here. Like right here, he punched him and it popped. He made his heart skip a beat. I'm thinking to myself like, dude, if he hit people on the field like that, I see why he played 11 years in the NFL. And then I learned under him for four years, I can pick a game right now where what you're talking about, it shows itself. My senior year, we played Nevada. The entire first quarter, we tried to throw the ball at Aloha Stadium. We scored three points. I told both Chris Naiole and Nick Rolovich, these DNs are rushing up the field, and Diosimi is one of the best 
A to B gap running backs I've ever played with. If we run downhill, we are going to kill them. We scored 35 points in the next two quarters. If your players can go out on the field, see what they see, and then feed that information back to the coordinator, oh, bro, you are talking about having coaches that are on the field as well as coaches on the sideline and coaches in the box. It is almost impossible to stop people that are always evolving and always learning. You want to know how to make adjustments? Who has a better view than the quarterback? Who has a better view than the linemen that are down there? So if you get veteran coaches that could teach them the intricacies, that could teach them, you know, how to see the ball in as a receiver, that could teach them how to stay straight as an offensive tackle without opening up, that could teach them as a center how to identify the mic, how to identify the fronts. Then you add that to the talent they naturally have, 88 points in the last two games? Come on, man. Come on, man. You would be completely out of your rocker to say there's nothing that could be pulled from this offense. There's nothing that could be involved on. Shevin comes back another year. A lot of those weapons come back for another year. So I think you add veterans. You keep Bo Graham up in that skybox, and you let this offense kind of figure itself out and hammer this newfound, you know, confidence into themselves. I think come next year, like I said, it's hard to believe this team couldn't win double-digit games with that defense being as good as it is and that offense figuring out whatever it is that didn't work those first 11 games and focusing on whatever worked them last two games. All right, let's play devil's advocate for a second. And let's say that the offensive players that you are talking about, right? And you say that, that uh, uh, let, let's say that a uh, majority of that offensive production over the last two weeks, the players that were responsible for it, let's say they don't come back. Right. And I'm not saying that one way or the other that, that a player will or won't, won't go. And, right. and, and I'll, and I'll throw this out there too. All right. For everyone to, to, to just remember is that in any, I mean, I worked at Safeway at one point when I was 19 years old before I got my job at KITV. All right. And bro, I mean, the same dramas that, that we hear about in the locker room of a football team happened at Safeway, right? I worked at YMCA growing up and I was, uh, you know, teaching, I was teaching swimming to infants, all right? That was one of the jobs I did at, at the YMCA, at the Kailua YMCA, and there was drama at the pool. I mean, everywhere, what all right? Infants. So, so I mean, that's the other thing you got to remember too, is that there's going to be disgruntled employees Oh, yes. Disgruntled team members everywhere you go. And um, and, and so it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, what I'm getting at is that let's just say that some key contributors just say like, hey, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't what I signed up for. I came here to, let's say, run the run and shoot. And even though they were productive over the last couple of weeks, like, you know what? Uh, you know that I this isn't what. I intended to do in college. So I'm going to go try and do something else or find something that's as close as similar as possible, whether you're offensive lineman, your receiver, your quarterback, your running back, whatever it is. Right. Um, have you seen enough out of this offense to where you feel like you still want to see more of it? If those gears to the machine are replaced with other players, is that, is that a, a, right. a yeah. Does that make sense where, yeah, where no. you're saying that like, oh, okay, I see, I see it now. I see what it looks like. Uh, seeing is believing. I mean, do you, do, do you still believe in the offense no matter who's running it or do you only believe in this offense because who is running it? 
No, I, no, I think it's definitely still an offense that needs to be seen. Uh, make no mistake about it. You're still going to lose players if nobody transfers. Calvin Turner's gone. Gene Pryor's gone. Cole Laval's gone. Jared Smart, who has uh, the uncanny ability of making some of the craziest catches I think I've ever seen in person, he's gone. So you're losing, you know, maybe not the most important weapons, but you are losing. I mean, Calvin Turner would definitely be up there. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still going to lose people. And if Zion Bones decides he's going to leave or whoever, you know, Day-Day Hunter or whoever, I'm not saying that I know anybody's going to leave. I'm just saying it. whoever decides to leave at the end of the day, it's one thing I learned from, you know, the, the offensive coordinator we had in 2015. I can't remember his name, but at the end of the day, he used to always say, no matter who is there, it's always about the assignment. And I think at the end of the day, that's all that really matters for the offense. You know, I, I, I had an inside zone that I had to run and I had to block the defensive end by myself. That wouldn't change if I got hurt and my backup came in. He still has to block the defensive end by himself. That wouldn't change if the defensive end switches from Kai Padello to Joey Bosa. And now I got, no, I still have to block this guy by myself. If it's Michigan or UNLV, it still has to be done. So whether Shevin's the quarterback or Braden Shager's the quarterback, the offense still has to be executed. Whether it's, you know, Zion Bowens or it's Tamatoa Mokiao Atamalala, it has to be executed. So at the end of the day, that would really fall on Bro Graham to get something going that can be successful with execution more than talent. Because at the end of the day, yes, you have talent, but if the scheme works, it doesn't matter who you have running it, it's going to succeed. So at the end of the day, if a lot of players that are important this year do transfer, that's going to fall on Bo Graham or whoever the offensive coordinator is. Whatever, you know, they do have coming in the next year. I say they use that to the best of their ability. But at the end of the day, if you've had a game plan that has shown you success, then it should not matter who you get come next year. You should have that same game plan that can breed, if not the same success, success very close to it. Because at the end of the day, through X's and O's, you're going to win a lot more than just showing up and having more talent than the opposing team, especially being the University of Hawaii, if we're being honest. Now, one thing I want to point out, uh, just to give everyone a heads up, uh, the Bose Football Final Mailbox, and it's hilarious because we talk about this all the time, that you can tell if the University of Hawaii football team won or lost based on my oh, it. Yep. mailbox blowing up. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm talking like, and, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm talking like, a differential of like, like 65, 70 messages, mm -hmm. you know, questions, comments that, uh, uh, whether it's a win or a loss. I mean, it was crickets. This is a victory. And mm -hmm. really, I mean, you know, we, we got, we got some, some really good questions and comments actually that, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that next week, uh, we will know for sure whether or not the season's over. I mean, we, we know that, you know, it's a very, a bleak opportunity for the University of Hawaii to have a postseason game at this point because you need teams to decline invitations, which to me just doesn't make sense. I mean, why multiple teams would do that? Um, but I figured, you know, we'll end things there next week when we know that the season is over. And we've got some really good questions and comments that are they're kind of big picture about moving forward. And so I'd like to save them until next week. Um, but again, it's just hilarious how 
you know, coming off of a loss, it's, it's just like, bah, 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 bah. And, you know, and then with a victory, it, you know, you, you get some in, and like I said, some really productive ones that I think are going to lead to really good conversations next week when we kind of wrap things up. Um, but I guess that's just the nature of the beast, right. Is, uh, you know, if, if things are going good, then, you know, you feel like, you know, you don't really need to say anything. I mean, if things aren't going good, then you want, you want to be heard. You want to know that you know how to fix this and everybody better listen up. Right, RJ? Hey, like my mama always say, it's much easier to hate than congratulate. So at the end of the day, I think everybody just, they they love getting behind their Twitter fingers and I can do this, I can do that. They can sideline coach, they can this, that, and the third. But when it comes time to give people their deserved credit i think that's just hard and it ain't just with the university of hawaii football fans i mean you know one time me and you had a conversation when you say how difficult it is to be great nowadays and and honestly it is true i think it's just so easy for people to spit that venom on you know comments in a section where you have a fake profile picture and you don't even use your real name so no matter how heinous it is no matter how incorrect the wrong it may be you could say whatever but at the end of the day say what you will about this team Saturday's performance against Wyoming was an absolute dominant performance. It was a great way to end the season. Say what you will about the offense. They've scored 88 points in seven quarters. Say what you will about Chevin Cordero. He's become the first player in the University of Hawaii history with his 6,000 passing yards, 1,000 rushing yards. My man just set history with the Michael Jackson Adidas glove on. So have whatever it is you need to say negatively. I mean, you got Darius Mulsau back-to-back 100 uh, tackle years, Corey Bethley with his national recognition. So you got all the negatives that you want to throw in there. That's great. But at the end of the day, this is a team just this season. Beat a team in Laramie. Haven't done that since 91. Beat Colorado State in Hawaii. Haven't done that since 92. Beat a ranked team, haven't done that since 2010. So is it perfect? No, but there is more than enough for this team to hang its hat on, for these seniors to be proud of, because they have multiple bowl rings now, being that they won two bowl games prior to this season. They have multiple bowl rings. They have more than enough to propel the legacy of Hawaii football into the future. So if people want to hate, great, you're going to do that anyway. And at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to be the silent majority congratulating the team when they do need it. Because after Saturday, this team deserves to be congratulated. Well, that does it for us here today. Again, be sure to check back next Monday because we will wrap things up on Bo's football final. It will be majority. It will be majority Bo's football final mailbox question. So uh, I'll I'll put that out again uh, over the weekend. And be sure to send them in. And, and, and we're going to be talking big picture. Because like I said, I got some of these questions and comments in the chamber already. And these are some big question <laughs> or big picture uh, topics and ideas. And, and that's what we want to talk about. And then we'll also know, you know, maybe maybe some of the pieces will fall at, at that point, too, in regards to uh, knowing uh, some of the players that will be coming, some of the players that will be going, uh, will be getting closer to the the National Letter of Intent signing day. So maybe there'll be some more commitment um, with no game this week. The University of Hawaii coaching staff, you can believe, will be hitting the recruiting trail harder than they have uh, been able to in season. And so there'll be a lot to talk about. And so uh, be sure to tune in Monday morning. And if you haven't noticed, we release it at 8.08 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time yes, every so. Monday khon2.com anywhere you download podcasts for rj hollis i'm rob demello have a great week everybody happy holidays and it's 
hey, it's time to play that Christmas music. Play that yeah, Christmas music sure. all day long, all right? Get yourselves into the jolly spirit, man. Uh, take care, everybody. Aloha.